If you look around this morning and you see some empty spots, which there's not that many, um, we have about 50 to 60 of our young folks gone on the uh, spring youth retreat. And Lord willing, they'll be back with us again tonight, but uh, we certainly miss them and we look forward to them being back with us. I thought as we sang the song just a few moments ago, Nailed to the Cross, there was one who's willing. And thinking about Jesus and what sacrifice He gave for each one of us. And then we partook of the bread and the fruit of the vine and wondrous memory of that great sacrifice, what He did in shedding His blood on the cross. It is Jesus that is the one that you and I are a part of His body, the church. This is the church of Christ. When Paul wrote the Colossians, he realized that many of them were not giving the proper place to Jesus in the church. And for that reason, he emphasized in chapter 1 and verse 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have to realize that Jesus needs to be in the church as much as we need to be in Jesus. When you get to Colossians chapter 2, and you look at verses 1 through 10, Paul is worried about his brethren. He's worried about the congregation at Colossae. He's afraid that there's going to be someone who is going to lead them astray through some persuasive philosophy. For just a few minutes, let me introduce our discussion by looking at a couple of things. I'm going to ask, first of all, are you distracted? Are you easily distracted? Now, someone might say, well, not me. If one of these lights were to shoot a light bulb all of a sudden, you know what would happen? I do. Immediately, everybody's eyes are focused in that direction. And it's easy to become distracted. Something catches our attention. Something different. Something unique. Something strange. I guarantee you if someone were to walk in the building wearing some very loud, odd clothes, you know what would happen all the way through the service? Everybody would look. Everybody would look. But do you know that it's easily to become distracted with regards to spiritual things, even over more mundane, everything, everyday things. Let me give you an illustration. If you go to Luke chapter 10, the latter part of that chapter, Jesus is going about and he's going to come to the city of Bethany. He's going to come to the house of Mary and Martha. And these are two sisters just like ordinary sisters today. Luke records, now it happened as they went into a certain village or entered a certain village, a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted 
with much serving. Now here's what happens. Jesus comes to their house. Martha goes in and the first thing she does is say, we've got to have something to eat. We've got to be hospitable. We've got to take care of all the little things. And you know what happens? Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him. Martha's distracted. Do you know that there's some of you now, some of you mothers very likely, who are thinking, I wonder if I've got all the food prepared for us to eat lunch after church. Have I got this taken care of? Have I got that taken care of? It's easy for our minds to be distracted. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he talked about people who because they have itching ears will heap to themselves teachers and they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Someone can come in with a great story. And you know what happens to us? Sometimes we begin to concentrate on the story. We concentrate on the things about it and we lose track of what the Scripture says. Second thing, are you easily deceived? Can someone take you and exploit you? I didn't tell Brother Caleb this, but I was going to use him for an illustration this morning. I don't know how many years ago it was, but we went on vacation, and I was unmerciful to Caleb. I was. All week long, I tried to deceive him, to trick him, and uh, was pretty successful at it most of the time. Of course, he was young, and he didn't know, he hadn't traveled that much with me. Micah knew what was happening. He, he's like, I'm not buying. The truth is, it's easy for us, when we're young, when we have not had experience, to be deceived. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 16. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And you say, no, we wouldn't do anything like that. You remember Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai? You remember when he came down what the people were doing? They were worshiping the golden calf. Oh, how easily people can be deceived, can be tricked into accepting something else. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit says expressly, In the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons. Oh yes, people will do that. Now, take that, if you will, to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Can we be distracted? Can we be deceived? And here's what Paul is going to say in those first ten verses. Um... He wants to talk with them about some persuasive words. Those first few verses, he's going to explain what he means by that. Then he's going to talk about uh, this pernicious philosophy. And finally, we're going to talk about some proper focus. Let's begin, first of all, with verses 1 through 7. I know that's going to be the longer reading, but it's the important part of this text here. For I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and for those in Laodicea. And as for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged 
being knit together in love, and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Now there's a lot in that, so let's start unpacking it together as we look at the details. The very first thing he's going to do is express concern. Paul was really concerned with the Colossians. He might say, well, he's never seen those Colossians before. He, haven't, he hasn't seen the Laodiceans before. There's a lot of people that are members of the Lord's church that I've never met. Am I concerned for them and their spirit? Well, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, he says, honor all people, love the brotherhood. We should be the kind of people who love the church and love Christians wherever we go and have the proper amount of concern for them. He says, I have great conflict. Many times the Greek words are the basis of our English words. The word here for great conflict is agonon, from which we get our word agony. And it describes the kind of struggle that a person would have in trying to run a race. He says, I, I, I'm concerned. Are you going to be able to finish the race? Are you going to be able to overcome the obstacles that come toward you? Well, it's necessary to show concern for the strength and stability of the church. The second thing is, is that he wants them to have this care and comprehension, understanding, if you will. He said that your hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. You have churches where people are unified, they love each other, they care for each other, and then you have churches where people just, everybody goes their own way, nobody knows or is concerned with what's happening to another. He said, I want you to be knit together in love. And then he says, I want you to have the full assurance of understanding. I want you to know that you know. The word assurance is confidence, understanding, knowledge. You know, there are times, for instance, when you are challenged with the taking of a test. A few weeks ago, the young people finished the Bible Bowl for this year. And when you sit in a group with some kids who have studied really hard, and I helped monitor a group of kids that had really studied, 
And just as soon as they took that test, they said, oh, I know the answer to that one. It's in chapter so-and-so, and here's what it says. They knew they knew the answer. He said, that's what I want for the church at Colossae. He said, both of the Father and of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Oh, if you begin to understand, here's where you go to to try to understand what's right versus what's wrong. There's been so much said this past week about the death of Mr. Stephen Hawking. Was he a brilliant man? I don't know how brilliant he was. I know he overcome a lot of physical obstacles in this life. But I do know one thing he was severely wrong on. And that is God. Psalms 14 says, The fool is said in his heart, there is no God. A man can find all kinds of knowledge and understanding in worldly things and forget and be distracted from and be deceived by those things and then he doesn't have the true knowledge that a person needs to have. One of the greatest vaccines for error is a healthy, happy congregation fed upon the Word of God. If you've got people working together, you've got people who are happy with serving God and you've been taught the Word of God, then you certainly have a congregation that error cannot easily come in. Which leads me to what Paul says here. He says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Now, being persuasive is not bad if a person's teaching the truth. In fact, three weeks from right now, Lord willing... Brother Lonnie Jones will stand in this pulpit and preach in a gospel meeting. I love to hear Brother Lonnie preach the gospel. You know why? There's two things that I can say that I know about the way he's going to preach. He's going to preach with passion. He loves the people that he preaches to every time. Number two, he will preach with persuasion. He will put effort into his message to make sure that we listen, to make sure we understand what God has said and do what God has said. Well, listen to Luke as he describes the conversation between Paul and Agrippa. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul was a man of persuasion. He tried to get Agrippa to obey the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, he says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul said, we know what's going to happen. Hell is going to be hot. God will not acquit the the guilty. Nahum chapter 1 and verse 3. What will happen? If you don't obey the gospel, you'll be lost. Paul said, we know that, so we try to persuade men. But the content must be the persuasive part. We've got to make sure that we persuade people to do what God has said to do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul would write, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Verse 4, And my speech and my preaching were not with 
persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power. I didn't come to try to persuade you to listen to me. I come to persuade you to listen to God. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1 verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. If you're going to preach about men, you're going to preach about what men want, then you're leaving Christ out. But you can be persuaded to do bad things. And that's what he's worried about. Is there going to be someone come along and persuade you to do something you ought not do? Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 5, he talks about the harlot. He said, to keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Chapter 7 verse 21, with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. Well, you see the, the persuasive words to do sinful things. Romans 16 verse 18, he said, For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by their smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. That's the uneducated. Those who have not had an opportunity to learn yet. He said what they do is they say things so that people will listen to them and are persuasive. In Matthew 27 and verse 20, But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Can people persuade you to do something that is wrong? Yes. The tongue has great power, and you can either use it for good or for evil. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21, he will tell us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And in Luke 6, 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the tree, evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now let's talk about this second area. I want you to look with me at verses 8 through 10. That was a part of our devotional reading. And this is a pernicious philosophy and I imagine some of you are saying, what in the world is pernicious? That word's found in the King James in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Talk about their pernicious ways. The word pernicious means destructive. Something that's going to bring ruin. Are there people whose philosophy will ruin you? Well, yeah. Let's read now verses 8 through 10. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men and according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality. And power. Now I want you to listen. We're going to discuss these terms individually, but I want you to listen to some of the words that Paul uses. Beware. Cheat. Philosophy. 
traditions of men. You take those concepts there, beware. The word beware is a very important word in our language. Let me illustrate it to you. Several years ago, Coretta and I went on an anniversary trip to Los Angeles. Special time to go on a vacation. We decided to drive down the coast going south. Stopped at the first little roadside park that was right there on the beach. I'm getting ready to get out of the car and there's a sign that says, Beware of Snakes. I said, we can just stay in the car. I actually took a picture of the sign. I had no desire to get out. When they say beware of snakes, I'm smart enough to know there's something there that can hurt me. When the Bible says beware, there's something there that can hurt you. Listen to Hebrews 3 verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He's trying to say every one of us are susceptible. You need to beware. Lest anyone cheat you. You know, it's bad when somebody makes a bad decision. You may go out and you may say, I need to buy a car and you're not very careful, you don't do your homework, and you go out and you buy a car that's not a good one, and there are some that are out there like that. But if you go and you want to buy a car, and somebody comes up and they tell you something, and they lie to you, and they use some of those persuasive words, and next thing you know, you're driving out in a piece of junk, And someone has cheated you. This is the only time this word appears in the Bible and it's defined to carry off as a prey or booty. Let me give you a couple of passages which I think illustrate the idea. In 2 John verse 8, Look to yourselves that we do not lose the things we have worked for, but that we receive a full reward. Whenever I read that, I think about somebody who comes and knocks on your door, maybe during a time of distress, and they are there to cheat you. Maybe they're saying, oh, we've seen some problem on your roof up here, and and we're here to help you. Or maybe they say, we're we're here, we've got some uh, stuff to seal your driveway. And come to find out they sprayed just used motor oil on your driveway and took your money. They cheated you. Will there be people willing to cheat you out of your salvation? Yes, there are. Luke 8, verse 12, those by the wayside are those who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Now that word philosophy. The word philosophy simply means the love of wisdom. But in the Bible, when you see the word, it talks about not the love of real wisdom, but the love of worldly wisdom. How the world thinks. 
1 Corinthians 1, 20 and 21, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolishness the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Then verse 19 of chapter 3, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. You see, the philosophy that he's talking about is, is not a person who takes God's word and loves the wisdom that comes from him, but he's talking about worldly philosophy. And then he's even a little more specific in the sense that he says this is from the traditions of men. It's not from God's word, it's from the traditions of men. And the Bible's very adamant about the traditions of men. You remember Matthew chapter 15, Jesus confronted the Pharisees and he says they're worshiping in vain. And here's what he says, and in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. When you and I decide instead of following God's will for our worship, we start following our own will for worship, God won't listen to it. He won't accept it. In Titus 1, verses 13 and 14, this testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. Commandments of men turn people from the truth. Now that brings me to our final point. Let's talk about a proper focus here for just a little bit. You see, if, if I am in a situation where I'm being distracted and even being deceived, I need somebody to say, okay, focus right here now. Pay attention. This is, this is the important part. He said, not according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of this world, but he says, it's got to be according to Christ. These people are not following Christ. They're following the traditions of men. But he says, I need you to focus on the doctrine of Christ. And then he focuses it even more in verse 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What had happened at Colossae? There's this philosopher. There's this persuasive person. And they're trying to distract people to something other than listening to Christ and respecting Him for who He is. In Him, in this body of Jesus, this one who was born in Bethlehem to Mary and the supposed, her husband, Joseph. And this one not only is man, but he is God in the flesh. You have to listen to him. He's perfect. Now verse 10. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You're fulfilled in him. You don't need anyone else. There is no other savior. As we bring it all together, 
the devil would seek to distract us with enticing worldly wisdom. What the devil would love to do this morning is for us as a congregation to take our focus off the Lord and put it somewhere else. The way the devil operates, though, is to appeal to things that you and I might be interested in. But the promises that are made end with sad results. They're empty. The last scripture I'm going to use is found in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. As I prepare to read these scriptures, verses to you, I want you to think about the deceptions and the distractions and the diversions that you face. And Peter writes, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption or slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him is he also brought into bondage. Do you know what Satan offers you? He offers you pleasure. Do you know what comes with most of that pleasure? Shackles of sin. Jesus asked you to be a servant of His, but you don't get shackles. You get service. Oh, the devil would have you to believe otherwise. All that you and I need is found in the Lord. Now, you can come to Him this morning. If you're not a Christian, what a wonderful thrill Tuesday night, see Jameson baptized into Christ. See a commitment made by a great young man. There's some of you here this morning need to make that commitment yourself. You may not be as young, but you need to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's all about Him. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And our serving Him and the forgiveness that He offers. If you're willing because of your faith to repent of your sins, confess that faith and be baptized, the Lord will add you to His body, to the church. There's also the possibility that some of us have allowed ourselves to be deceived, to be misled, and to even find ourselves now away from the Lord over here and say, I didn't, I didn't intend to be here. But I know that's where I'm at now and it's time for me to come back home. We're going to sing the song, Tomorrow May Be Too Late. And if you need to respond, please come as together we stand and sing.